Welcome to the Hustle or Bust podcast powered by Paver Art. Our mission is simple, to dive deep into the world of entrepreneurship, small business, and all the success, struggle, and challenges that need to be confronted in the pursuit of growth. We celebrate the entrepreneurial spirit, but perhaps most important, we want you to learn at least one idea that you can put into action immediately to make your investment in time worthwhile. There's an old axiom in business. Nothing happens until somebody sells something. This is a quote that's attributed to a number of people, including Peter Drucker, the great management thinker. Sales is not just about customers. It's about persuasion, and persuasion influences all stakeholders, from employees to suppliers to the community. And yes, generating revenue for your business. Episode 41, we start a multi-part series on the art and science of selling. We talk about key traits, principles, and stereotypes in the world of sales. We hope you enjoy it and drop us a line with some feedback. Today's episode, we want to talk about something that's very near to my heart and very near to Mark's heart, and that is sales and marketing. What I, what I have always found unusual, Mark, is that whenever you talk about sales, whenever you talk, I mean, let's take marketing out of the equation for the moment, although they're inextricably linked. Uh, but sales in and of itself is such an important part of virtually any business organization. I mean, you've got to sell whatever it is that you're manufacturing or whatever it is that you're distributing. You have to be able to sell that. And yes, there's an art to selling. And yes, there's a science to selling. But you would think there would be something out there, um, school-wise, education-wise, <clears throat> that would get you on the right track to becoming a good salesperson. Well, you go to any business school, you go to any, you know, any university with a business department, and I defy you to find anything that's related to teaching the art and science of selling. I, I've yet to see one. I mean, I could be wrong. Somebody will listen to this and go, oh, no, there's a... But I doubt it. I took one sales class that was an actual elective in college. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you're right. There, there is no major in sales. Well, you've got a major in finance. You've got a major in accounting. Right. You've got a major in business administration. Okay. Uh, you've got a major in economics. But there's no major in sales. That's right. I don't, you know, I, I to this day, I still don't understand that. And it's easily one of the more key and important aspects of any business you've got to sell what you make how else are you going to make a profit stay in business i mean it's very simple i think i think it goes beyond just the product isn't it, it or service that your your business is all about it's right. you've got to sell employees or let's call sales is synonymous with persuasion and it's a you know probably an evil cousin of leadership 
right? Leadership is about convincing people to follow. True. Um, whether that's through your example or whatever it is. But the art of sales goes to community involvement, uh, getting suppliers to work with you, <clears throat> getting customers to work with you, and most importantly, getting employees to believe that your business is going somewhere. So sales cuts across all those different aspects of business. There's, there's a selling component to each one of those is what you're basically saying. And I could not agree more. Think about the startup founder that, that is trying to go out there and raise capital. That's a sales job. They might be a techie, right, doing a software startup, whatever it is startup they're doing, but they have got to sell people to believe in their business to the point where they're going to separate them from their money. Correct. Can selling be learned? Absolutely. It's a skill. Or is it basically inherent in the the DNA of the person. Let's think think of the best salesman that you know. Did they learn to be salesmen for the most part? Or did it or or is their personality such that it it, it leads them in that direction? They're just naturally born salespeople because of their personality, their conversational, you know, uh, their conversational assets. Um I personally think it's a combination of the two. Yeah, it's, it's hard to argue. There are people that are naturally gifted for the sales profession exactly. or function. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. That doesn't mean if you're not... And yet, what do you think of when you think about great salesperson? What are some of the traits and attributes? They're comfortable in a room full of people. They're comfortable in a, in a, in a room with one person, one-on-one. They're comfortable seeing five separate customers in one day. I mean, think about that. I, I know you know people that have a, a shy nature about them, mm -hmm. okay? And they kind of shy away from uh, interaction with other people. And there's, there's a component there which basically tells you, well, they're just not going to be a good salesperson. You can't be that way. You have to, you have to be balls out all the time, and I don't care what anybody says. That's exactly what you have to do. I went to college and studied accounting. Okay. When I got out of count, when I got out of college, you know, I made the decision that I don't want to do that. I just can't do that. My brother, my dad, I can't. My son, I I can't do that all day every day. It just it would be, it's maddening to me. And the social interactions that you have in that profession, you know, on the typical business level, yes, you can, you know, every day you're going to see the same sales, you're going to see the same people, you're going to, you know, you're going to interact with them, you're going to interface with them. And that's not selling, okay? I'm talking about actually going out and it's like the professional selling skills, too. Oh, negotiating. Yeah. <laughs> Sell this pen. Right. Sell this pen to Mark Olivito. Right. Make him want to just just turn over eight bucks to you to buy this pen right, right now. In my opinion, you have to be comfortable in your own skin. You have to know your product inside and out. You couple that with... A conversational tone, uh, uh, a, a need to probe, ask questions, find what the customer really wants, 
match that to your product. The, there's an art to that. Can that be taught? Yeah, I suppose it can. I mean, there's selling seminars all over the world. There's probably 50 of them going on right now in the, you know, in the neighboring five states. But, but it does do, some of these seminars do an injustice. If I went to a seminar and the, and the moderator did what you just did to me, sell me this pen, mm-hmm. I think I'd walk out. I just, that to me is the ultimate exactly. bad stereotype yeah. of what sales is. The used car sales. When you think about yeah, sales as a stereotype, I think there's a lot of negative connotations. Correct. And that right, that sell me this pen, that just is a, <laughs> it's, I can't stand that. So mm-hmm. I understand why sales is a, um, I don't know if I would go through that. I mean, that's just a hard pitch right there. Sure. Uh, so, so I have a hard time. And I'll give you another example. You, you mentioned, you started by saying, what was it, a natural inclination to be in a room full of people, right? You're comfortable. And you're, you're when we were kind of vetting this subject last week, I brought up, I, I brought up myself and I brought up my cousin Greg. Uh, we like to do, he's my concert buddy, I'm his concert buddy. We do, we've done hundreds of concerts in the last 40 years together. Uh, it is the joy of my life to be able to do that. Within 10 minutes of sitting down in your chair mm-hmm. or your seat and you're surrounded by all these people, we will have connected with at least five or six. By the end of the show, it's like we've known these people all our lives. Right. We're friends. Okay, there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a common goal with everybody at that show. They want to see that person up on the stage, and they have history with that person. And Greg and I just have a natural inclination to meet these people. We're comfortable with them. We're not intimidated by anybody. And you can initiate those conversations, both of you. The key is the initiation. The initiation is, you know, and it can't be, hey, how you doing? Right. What's, wow, who are you? Where are you from? Right. No, no, it's not like that at all. It's, it's, it just, it, it's a natural thing that occurs. And by the way, he's one of the best salespeople I know. He does something very similar to what we do here, but he does it with doors and door hardware down in Baltimore. And he's terrific. He's got, he has customers that want him to go out with them. Okay? It's usually the other way around. You know, it's the sales guy's job to get them to go out with him. They want to go out with him. Okay? That's, you know, there's a relationship there that is. Uh, that's expedited by that person, in this case, my cousin Greg. Um, I think you do the same thing. Uh, not, I not, do the same thing. Right now, we are nowhere near on the same level as it relates to that. So I'll give you, as you talk about you and Greg, and I can totally picture this, that you guys will be friends with the 10 people surrounding you at the right. whatever concert, right? I am not that person. Uh, now, if you or Greg were to initiate conversation with me, we might right. become great buddies by the end of the show. But there's no way I'm initiating that conversation. You and I experienced this with a trade show. I made the comment, you've got a natural ability at a trade show, which is a room full of strangers, kind of the situation you're talking about with a concert. Although you're there for enjoyment purposes, pleasure, right? Trade shows are not. You're there. You're standing on concrete all day, and you've got a room full of strangers walking by. You have an objective and a job. You've got an ability to reach out and grab people and pull them over to the booth. I can't do that. If we went to a trade show and I had to man the booth... It would be the worst investment ever. I just don't have that ability, desire. I don't know what it is. I can't do that. Now, if you pull them over and get them to the booth, get them engaged, 
I can talk with them for eight hours. Which so, which you do. So there's a I think when introverts and let's define introverts and extroverts because mm-hmm. this is kind of a but I'm amazed at how uh, how many people argue with the definition of introverts and extroverts. Okay. Here's a simple definition that I've come to learn. Extroverts get their energy from being around people. That's an extrovert. An yep. introvert, if they were around people all day, doesn't mean they can't function. It means that by the end of the day, they are going to be exhausted. It drained the life out of them. Right? Gotcha. A cocktail party for an introvert is torture. They'd much rather be in their hotel room reading a good book or watching something. They get their energy from being alone. Extroverts get their energy from being it's around good, people. That's a good that's definition. Now, good definition. I'm amazed that you know, my family's great. They, they debate with me. And just, oh, that doesn't mean she's not good with people. It has nothing to do with are you good with people or not. Right. It's where do you get, are you exhausted being around people or do you get more energized being around it? It's simple mm-hmm. a matter of energy. So that's the definition. You clearly, you and Gray, your story is you guys get energy from being around people. Um, I'm generally pretty extroverted as well, but I, I don't have that ability to go make strange, make 10 strangers my friends by the end of the night. I might become friends, but they're going to initiate it. Interesting. Anyway, that's a side, but I've seen great introverts be fantastic salespeople. I really have. But at the same time, okay, all right, I'm going to challenge that, and here's how I'm going to challenge it. One of the hardest things to do as a salesperson is to is to cold call. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're meeting. You, you know, one of the things when I was in charge of when I was a sales manager and a VP of sales and marketing for the, the previous organization that I worked for, one of my rules was you never go to see a client unless he knows you're coming. It has to be an appointed call, and the reason for that is it costs too much to send a salesperson, you know, you, you, you basically bought his car, put gas in it, paid for his insurance, paid for his lunches and dinners, his hotel rooms. This is an expensive proposition. Oh, no, and oh, by the way, you have to pay for him. Sure. He's, you know, he's, gonna, he's, he's got he's to earn money. Uh, and the, um, uh, the cold call is the bane of all salespeople. But what you're talking about uh, in this... There is there is a cold call portion to selling, which you have to go through whether you like it or not. And that's to get that appointed call and call that person for the first time. That's a cold call. Sure. And you're basically doing that on the phone. You're you're trying to set up or an appointment email. on the phone or an email. And quite frankly, I hate emails for that function. Sure. I think emails are uh, very dispassionate. There's no there's no opportunity to show the tone in your voice, which is why, by the way, which is why Zoom has become such a great selling tool for us. That's right. Uh, it's, it's the next notch down from physically sitting across the table from the client or clients that you need to address. But that cold call, getting on the phone and speaking to someone, tracking someone down, getting them on the phone and speaking with them and saying, hey, my name's Mike Bull. The name of our company is Paver Art. I don't know if you've ever heard of us, but I'd, I'd like a couple of minutes to introduce us. And there's all sorts of ways to work your way in the door. We, this is not a, you know, the, this is not sales. This is not selling 101. Uh, but uh, there's a cold call aspect to that. So what you're saying is, don't tell me you haven't done that because I know you have. You've spent the better part of your life doing that. Uh, when you actually had, you know, you're not going on the road. You're not flying down to Texas, okay? Unless you've got somebody there that's expecting to see you 
Well, you had to initiate that call somehow, mm -hmm. and that was the cold call, and it was probably done by phone back in the day. So, yes, it's, you, you know, if you're in a room full of people at a show, okay, that's one thing. But when you have to, and it's your livelihood to actually get people on the phone and set up appointments to go see them, that's a cold call, mm -hmm. period, end of story. Um, where it gets expensive, that's the least expensive cold call. Where it gets expensive is when you're on the road and you see, oh, look, there's a... Um, Let's uh, stop in. Yeah, let's do no. That's, that's a high risk, high return. The physical high risk and extremely disrespectful to the client. I think it is. So it's uh, and and you know, but it's also unusual for a physical cold call. I'll stop in. I it's, I could. We're going to get into the war stories here shortly. I could tell you about a fellow that I hired years ago that spent the bulk of his time physical cold calling to stop in. Yeah, he he would go instead of taking a day. You know, there's there's five days in the week. One day is your setup, okay? The other four days are your calls, and at least that's the way I did it. And it took me for me to schedule the rest of the week. I had to I had to make at least forty phone calls on that Monday mm -hmm. to get the rest of that week scheduled, and a portion of the next week. And the more you could get the next week, the less of a load you had. Then instead of spending a whole day. You only have to have, maybe maybe next week. You only have to spend a half a day to set that up. Right. There's there's just so many ways to make this work. When we started this business, you're selling a product that no one's ever seen before. Okay, that presents with it a certain uh, a certain number of challenges. Okay, especially when you haven't built anything yet, and you're here from day one. Okay, let's start selling this. All right. Uh, do you have any pictures of this stuff? Well, yeah, but nothing we want to show anybody. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no, we're going to show them. We're going to show them. I'll make that work. But the um, uh, anyway, this is we're, we're still in the, the lead-in portion of this. But but anyway, I um, uh, I, I think what uh, I just wanted to challenge that whole cold call mm -hmm. notion on your part. So yeah, there's don't don't downplay that. Uh, because you were involved with cold calls too, and that's the hardest part of any salesman's life is the cold call. Well, so. what, on the other side of the desk, when you're running a business, let's say you've got some revenue coming in, you're mm -hmm. sustainable, maybe you're not making a fortune, but you've got revenue and you're make, making your expenses, you're selling, you're transacting as a business. Right. From the other side of the desk, how much of our time is consumed with the outside world trying to sell paver art for our business? What percentage of our time? Relatively small, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is relatively small. Do you think that's common for all businesses? So cause what we're trying to figure out here is you've got to get, I think it's undeniable the sales skill, whether you're an accountant, a operations person, having the sales skill, the ability to persuade, the ability to lead people mm -hmm. is critical. If we're in a business as managers or leaders of a business and relatively small percentage of our time is spent entertaining salespeople, having salespeople come in the door on the phone. I think it's, what percentage do you think it is of our time? Of our time? Well, 10% maybe. All right, let's just say, is that 10% common across all businesses? In other words, their doors being knocked on 10% of their time. No, it's probably a lot more, especially in the bigger businesses, because there's just, there's too much, there's just so many aspects to those bigger businesses and the, and the goal to capture that business just draws salesmen out well, like let's uh, define it as small business defined as 20 million dollars and under 
Okay. Let, let's let's. Do you think it's it's probably still a little bit more than ten percent? But do you think it's fifty percent? No, I don't think it's fifty percent. I, I don't know that it's that much. Maybe it's twenty five percent. Yeah, maybe twenty five percent, something like that. I was you're you're. I think you're in the ballpark with right. that. And relatively speaking, that's one day a week they're spending right. on managing the sales process from the outside world coming in. Right. That, that's relatively small. Do you think that's because of underdeveloped salespeople? The world's not putting enough energy or money towards sales. They're doing inbound like we are. Why do you think that is? Because that's not a lot of, relatively speaking, that's not a lot, even if it's 25%. Well, okay. You want my honest opinion? Mm -hmm. My honest opinion on that is now, not 25 years ago, okay, not when I was on the road all the time. Yeah, right now. Not when you were on the road. Right now, the art of selling has kind of gone out the window. I, I agree with you. I, I think and you're right. And we've gotten, I think salespeople have gotten, quite frankly, I think they've gotten lazy. I think they've gotten... So we're going dark here, but I happen to agree with you. Yeah, it's, it is a little dark, but the reason for it is because of all the wonderful new gimmicks and tools that we now but have. COVID, let's, let's go, let's, let's, COVID put a nation full of salespeople from the plane right. to behind their fucking computer. Yeah. And I can tell you, I, I've talked to a lot of people, investments I have. The sales went up when the salespeople came came off the road. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know. It was a supply chain. There's a 30 reasons for it. How would you like to be a VP of sales with a crew of 30 salespeople or 100? Right. doesn't matter. And then COVID hits, nobody is going on the road and traveling because nobody will see anybody physically. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're doing Zoom. They're doing other things. And the travel and entertainment budgets plummeted to nothing. And sales go up at a higher rate than when they were on the road. If that doesn't make you shit a brick, I don't know what does. Don't you think the executives in the boardroom are like, oh my God, our T&E, travel and entertainment went down 80% because all the guys are in their home and our sales went up at a faster rate. And oh, by the way, when COVID lifted and they're still going up and our T&E was nowhere near pre-COVID. Right. Tells you there's a lot of waste or the, at least you got a question, what the hell happened there? There's been a transfer of power, and that power went from the individual. What do you think the finance people said? Do you think they were uh, oh quiet on their opinion of oh this? My, it's, there's, no, they weren't quiet. This did not make for a comfortable salesperson. No. And the traditional sales guy, like you said, gets in his car, gets on a plane, spends the week away from home. Right. That guy, although still around, they're still there. Nowhere near that percentage has dropped significantly. So if you're that sales guy and you were on the road five days a week or four days a week, you were spending money, you were you were ringing up the T and E bill because you got right. that corporate card, and now COVID hits, and now you're in your office, and you're trying to readapt to the world of Zoom or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Your expenses drop and your sales go up, and they maintained even after the thing lifted. What do you? What's your self assessment of that? Why is that? Well, look. At the end of the day, you can now. Um, you can now touch more people with a video than you could, you know, cold calling and setting up appointments. Mm -hmm. Okay. But there's one difference. And it's one of the examples. Oh, well, let's go into it. We found great value in this business in doing what we refer to as lunch and learns. And it wasn't our term. That's somebody else's term. It's a, actually a... Uh, uh, an industry broad-based term called lunch and learns and it was done with landscape architecture firms a few architecture firms 
but mostly landscape architecture firms because landscape architecture deals with the outdoors. Our product is outdoors. Uh, it deals with design. Um, our product is all about design. But what those lunch and learns gave us the opportunity to... Do you bribe them with lunch? You bring a lunch in. Exactly. But it wasn't a hard sell. It was never a hard sell. Once the, and the reason for it was we were new and different. And this is, and, and I'm going to tie all this up. you got to give me a couple of minutes here, but I'm yeah. going to tie all this but up. I'm going to play the finance guy that's challenging it. Yeah, of course they're going to see you because you're bringing free lunch in. You're going well, to Panera Bread and bringing lunch in. Well, first of all, I never did a lunch and learn unless there was going to be at least five people. Right, but you're okay. still bringing them lunch. Right, exactly. So they, they scheduled it, and sales guys coming in, and they're going to sit there and entertain you for 20 lunch minutes. Is, lunch is, is going to run you between 200 and 250 bucks. Right, it's real money. Okay, and it was always a good lunch. It wasn't, you know, ham and cheese sandwiches with a bag of chips right. and a bottle of water. You know, we didn't play that game. We, you know, these are... So you, put, you spent some money. Yes, but... Th yeah, there was a certain percentage of people that were coming to the lunch and learn... To get a free lunch, right. okay? I'm not stupid, and you know, and, and neither was you know uh, Kenny or Mick. But once they got into the presentation, and I made the presentation, okay, uh, and it was a killer PowerPoint. You're always scheduled for 45 to 50 minutes. They never ran 45 or 50 minutes. They always ran an hour and 15 to an hour and a half. Every one, not one came in. Now, my presentation was geared for that, but at the beginning of every presentation, I said, you please stop me at any time because I know this is the first time you've seen this and you're going to see something here and you may forget it if you don't write it down. We're not going to do questions at the end. We're going to do questions along the way. And that's what prolonged all of this. But you knew you had, we had them by the third slide. They were hooked. And they're hooked because, and again, this is my uh, uh, never-ending devotion to the landscape architecture field. These people are hungry for information. They really are. Sure. And I admire that. I mean, it gave us an opportunity to, gave me an opportunity, gave you know our organization an opportunity to expand on who we were and what we could supply. And these were the people that were going to spec us into potential municipal and commercial jobs and the you know the occasional residential job the interest in the product was off the charts if you could measure it uh, there's a marketing measurement i forget what it's called um, you know in regards to interest in a particular product intent. there you go it's it would be 99 and a half percent it was that good now we're going to take some credit. I mean, I didn't put this whole thing together myself. I mean, there was, it was a collaboration amongst the three of us, the, you know, the three guys in the business. And, um, uh, and when, you, when you went to set this up, it was the same thing. A big conference room. <clears throat> I borrowed a projector. We never owned a projector. <laughs> I borrowed a projector. Eventually, I had to borrow. I, I, had, to, I had to rent one. My roommate from college who owned a computer business, had like three projectors. I'd rent one from him. The guy wouldn't even give it to me, okay? Come on. Come on, man. At any rate, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, but anyway, to make a long story short, the, uh, 
The reason why this was so important, and we realized it after about the second or third lunch and learn, was that, yes, we're, we're not talking to one person. We're talking to a minimum of five. The most I ever talked to was 40, and that was the, um, that was the big one up in, uh, up on, uh, uh, up in Queens with the, uh, the city of New York's uh, uh, stable of landscape architects, which at that time, in that meeting, there were 40. Mm -hmm. There were more of them, but in that meeting, there were 40. That lunch was really expensive, <laughs> but, but it was worth it. It got us the Marcus Garvey Park job, which for us back then was a $65,000 job. Yeah. And back $65,000 for our little firm then? Yeah. Now, you take that. We won't go into that. But, uh, but the, uh, uh, that's what got us that job. I mean, it exposed us, it exposed them to a product that they heretofore wouldn't have known anything about. And you didn't have social media back then. You didn't, you know, getting somebody to go to a website of a product that, Never before, before existed is next to impossible. How did you? When, when did that job come about from the lunch and learn? How long did it take? Uh, probably took. I'm going to say that was like about 12, 13 months. Okay. Yeah, because they, you, you've got to get spec'd in. It's got to go through a whole series. I mean, there's there's all the red tape. There's the uh, you know you've got to get the money. Uh, you've got to get the monies set well, aside. Well, there's for insight that. there because you spent money on the lunch. Let's just say it was twenty bucks a head, right? right? Mm -hmm. uh, your time on the road, the gas, the you know, you got to go over four bridges. You got to spend eighty bucks to get there. You got to spend the money on lunch, yep. and then you're doing this all week long. These lunch and learns, and Correct. you got what that one lunch and learn resulted in sixty five thousand dollars that you can easily pinpoint. Right, but you got twelve months worth of expenses. So the theory is every lunch and learn is going to produce something. Correct, but it might take twelve, might take sixteen, it might take three years for something to bear fruit. So as a business owner thinking about sales as a function. Putting a direct salesperson on the road, you got to be in this thing for what do you think, eighteen months to get a good read on it? Easily, because the sales cycle is not quick, and you're they're not going to buy something right there and then here, here it is. Here's my set of steak knives. And that and the, that's exactly. And the good salesperson is not going to sit back and just let that one lunch and learn be the only thing he gets done with that account. You have to remember. You got to farm it. It's you know you've got to follow up. That becomes an account. Okay. And the key thing with those lunch and learns was that, first of all, landscape architects, as a general rule, especially on big projects, work in teams, okay? And, you know, you've got the junior member who's going to be doing all the grunt work. He's going to be putting together all the, he's going to be actually doing the drawings. But then you've got the principal who's basically, um, you know, letting his team understand and let, make them know exactly what needs to be done for this particular project, the direction we're going in, the themes that are going to be we want to touch on, that kind of stuff. Um, but all you need is one of those people from that one lunch and learn out of the 5, 10, 20, 30 people that you were speaking to. All they have to do is remember you. That one person only has to remember you. That gets, that infects the team at some point. Oh, the client, we've had a client meeting. The client wants to do, they want to do something with their, with their, uh, you know, with their, uh, like say their their college seal or their town, their municipal seal. Uh, they want to do a medallion of the, uh, you know, of the uh, of the of a of a uh, the the um, the logo for the college, something like that. Oh, yeah, remember we had that guy here six months ago, the guy from Paveart, which by the way, you do a lunch and learn. For all intents and purposes, you're going to get into their, their you're going to get into their sourcing library, okay? Where all the information that they need to find out 
in regards to your product, that's where that stays. So before you leave, you got to make sure they have all that sourcing information. It gets into their library. That's that's a very elite place to be. And um, uh, but but you still need to have them remember what you're doing. To tie all this up into a neat bow, what happened in 08 and 09? You know, some people call it the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. I would be I would tend to call it the Great Depression because I'm thinking to myself, well, that's it for us. All right, we're done. We started those lunch and learns early. We, you know, this business started in 03. 08 was when that was when that Great Recession started. Okay, it picked up steam late in 08 and early in 09, and for all intents and purposes, wiped out all of our residential sales. Wiped it out completely. Yeah. Well, nobody had you know, people were you know were in mortgage default. Right. Okay. And uh, anyway, to make a long story short, again. That what what saved this business was all of a sudden commercial jobs, municipal jobs, college, institutional, high school work, all of a sudden that business started to explode. That's what saved us in 08, 09, 2010, and 2011. So you had three to four years of development against this landscape architect. Had we not done that, that created a we would not channel. Had, had we not done that, this business would not have been available for you to buy. So that was your ago. long sales cycle that you started early. You right. developed it. You, you got on the road every day, and you're exactly. doing these lunch and learns. And by the time the shit hit the fan, called the Great Recession. Yep. You had some business outside that kept this alive. And those lunch and learns, which is those lunch and learns are. It's basically a, a, a primer in selling, okay? You're not just selling one person. If I'm just sitting across the table from you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strike up a, a conversation. I'm going to, by the end of that conversation, unless there's something about me that you just don't like, you're going to like me to a certain extent, all right? I'm going to get my point across. Whether you buy from me or not is going to be a, a function of, you know, did I probe you enough? Do I know what your real needs are? Did I match that to the product? Uh, did I, you know, uh, you know, we talked about price. Did I handle all of your objections? You know, uh, th- that sort of thing. All the little neat little tricks of selling that you learn along the way, or unless you take a seminar, <laughs> and they try to teach you that stuff. Um, but the um, uh, in doing so, in doing in doing what we did with those lunch and learns, it basically quite frankly save the business and we were smart enough early on to realize that th- this is great this is the th- these are fantastic and every time you could land one with a major LA firm uh, LA meaning landscape architecture firm it was a you know it was a big deal and we took it very very seriously and the three of us it wasn't just me the, the three of us basically honed the presentation uh, and put that presentation. It was a killer presentation. Well, you, you got two good indicators that it was worth their time, your client's time, in this case being a landscape architect firm because they went longer. Point. And then if you had to pull, let's say there was 10 in a room, you think, and he asked a simple question. It's a great survey, by the way. Was this worth your hour investment in time? So forget about the free lunch. Right. You probably got eight or nine that would say, hell yeah, it was. I'd like to, I, I would like to think so, yeah. So that's good. So you gotta you, you got to provide value over and above your product, I think. Sure. I think that's, that's kind of like a given. And you're not showing them, look, how many, it, it, the guys, look, my job, to be quite frank, was easy. I'm walking in with a product that nobody's seen, and it's cool. Right. 
It's a great looking product. When you're showing designs of a, a, a set of intersecting electric guitars in the middle of a in the middle of an intersection with big feet right. going across the uh, going across the you know the crosswalks, people look at that and go, "How the hell did you make that?" And it's you you can't yeah you know, we call it the wow factor. I mean that's the first thing that the, the first thing you cobbled to when you bought the business was the wow factor. Look at this shit. This stuff is really really cool. And, but, 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 but that businesses don't have that. that well, the, the point I'm trying to make is that the, 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 the poor sales guy that has to go in there from a concrete paver manufacturer, which is a commodity, right And we're not commodity isn't a bad word, but it's a different sale. Okay. When there's a sea of sameness, which is what the world of pavers is, there right. are some differences for people in the business. Right. But all you need to do is look at a contractor page and say, when they say, what paver is this? And you get 25 different answers. Right. That's the definition of a commodity. Great point. It's a sea of sameness. Yeah, exactly. So that, that ain't my opinion. That's 30, that's 10,000 contractors all debating on what product it is. If I'm in, in that world, if I'm in that world, is the salesperson more important or less important in that world? Oh, it's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's more important. Infinitely more important. Oh my than goodness! A commodity. Look, I'm not gonna uh, look. I, I, I think I'm a pretty good sales guy. Okay, I think I'm a pretty good salesperson. But I got to tell you that the paper product sells itself. Okay, uh, you know, all I'm doing is answering questions. You know, uh, there will be the occasional objection. So let's take the unique wow factor business that's right. got the unique, like a paper art or some other unique software or unique. And let's just say we're dealing in a world of cutthroat competition, which is more the majority of business out there than something like us or something that's very unique or wow factor. Sales becomes infinitely more important because what's the difference maker? It's got to be service. It's got to be price. You don't want to compete on price. And it's got to be that personal relationship. Relationship. Yeah. It's Who, the, when you see company X, are you thinking person or are you thinking see a sameness? If you're not thinking person, you're going to be relegated to a price. You hope and pray that what you're selling against your competition is as good as their product. If it's as good as their product, you got a better than even chance of you closing, got a chance. Yeah, closing that sale. Right. But you have to, you know, the, the relationship part, the relationship part isn't just, hey, Bill, how are you? Good to see you again. Here's a dozen donuts. That's a small part of that. The big part of that is, and we talked about this early on, uh, just killer customer service. I mean, you're in front of them all the time without being obnoxiously present. Okay. Here's one for you. I see a lot of salespeople make this simple. One of the early sales training, leadership training, more so leadership, not sales, right. that, I, that I got schooled on <clears throat> is personality profile and being able to identify that all right, Bull is clearly an extrovert, but what else about Bull is unique? versus this person over here, Jane right. Smith, right? Well, she's introverted. So whether you do Myers-Briggs disc profile or the thousands of others, you gotta be able to quickly assess what makes people tick. Time urgency, idea management, uh, feelings, there's sensors, there's feelers, there's all different profiles. But try, I am a, in the, in the disc parlance uh, vernacular, D stands for dominance. That's how sensitive you are to time. What's your currency in life? Is it money or is it time? So somebody that's a high D uh, is a is a time. They are obsessed with getting value out of their time. I'm 100 percent D, which is like outside of like 99 percent of the universe mm -hmm. when they compare it to averages. So if someone comes into me a high D, and they put a 40-page PowerPoint presentation in front of me 
and it was a cold call so they're not respecting my time they're not setting up an appointment and then they're not going to value my time and expect me to sit there and read a 40 minute they have lost and it's like i cringe and they are dead right from the start if the salesperson can't recognize that they are they, the fundamental thing of being able to say this person is introvert extrovert and here's a couple of other things on what makes them tick mm -hmm. they are dead from the start now by the way you don't need to be a salesperson in your career think about it if you can't typecast your boss or your colleagues and understand what makes them tick there's only so far in business you're going to go if you can't figure out how to flex your communication to what makes them tick that's a skill that you need to have whether you're in sales or not happens to be more important in sales and you're tying that basically it sounds like what you're doing is you're tying the, the whole selling concept to leadership knowing your person to, to leadership, leadership and gotcha. communication gotcha so if you're a high d you know that i'm going to be dealing with a high d i got a colleague across from me massively high d or low d they don't care about time but they are the accountant's mindset of process and procedures and doing things the right way mm -hmm. and you give them an unrealistic deadline they are going to you're going to stress them out so if you don't know that you're not savvy enough to typecast what they are and you're giving them unrealistic deadlines that's kind of throws the rules out the window right you're going to make that person's life a living hell right yep so one of the things that's important for teams to do is to understand where does everyone sit on a continuum of personality profiles if you know that you can communicate better with them you can have better conversations mm -hmm. so while that's a team building dynamics leadership oriented thing it applies directly to sales sales you don't have the advantage of spending eight hours a day with people you might know them for you might spend a quality half hour with them once every six months maybe oh, i'd kill for a half hour that's right that's why getting people out to a ball game is so important you get them out of their element sure. get to know them a little bit but that's those days are few and far between i think mm -hmm. and who wants to work 12 hours a day if a salesperson came in here you and i after we do our hour and a half commute we work 12 hours or whatever it is and then they say you want to go to a ball game thursday night what's your response going to be uh no uh, yeah that's the only thing you want to do <laughs> that is that's stressful i mean you work long enough i mean now it's a nice gesture and we appreciate that well no that, and of course we do but i you but know that's not the that's not that is not going to be a value added activity in your life there's no and that was that was never an issue when we were even when when we were building the business. I mean, as an entrepreneur, as a as a uh, as a new business owner, you're just so focused on what you're doing every day. Uh, you just don't have the time for all that. Here, here's what sales. Uh, yeah, they got to be. They got to know their product. They got to be obsessed with it. They got to know what makes it different from the competition. They got to right. be able to articulate that. Really, I've seen really great salespeople. That's important. It's kind of like a given. It's table sticks. You got to know your product. You got to know your industry. You got to know the person across the, the table from you. Exactly. You got to be able to provide value over and above your product. Mm -hmm. You got to be a smart business person. So, the people that invest in themselves, they read the Wall Street Journal, they read the best sales books, they read the best business books. They, they're good quality, smart conversationalists. They can kind of deal with a lot of different areas. They know a little bit about the stock market, they know a little bit about the economy. They know their world. They get they dive deep into the customer's world enough so that they can add value to their business. Mm -hmm. What you want to create as a what you want that buyer, potential buyer, not to cringe when they hear your name. Yep. You want that. All right, cool. When when can you come in? You want them to crave your presence mm -hmm. and having the ability to come in the door. And there's a lot of ways to do that, but it starts with you better be investing in yourself. You better be getting smarter. You better be able to talk about business at a broader level mm -hmm. to add value to their world. Well, it's, you, you brought up a pretty interesting point there, too, one we haven't talked about yet. Um, you're sizing up your client. 
you know you know how after a while you know when you're first on the road you're still wet behind the ears you you're you're just I don't care whether you're on the road whether you're dealing with somebody over the phone or whether you're dealing with somebody on a zoom call you're dealing with them for the first time and if I can see them and hear them at the same time which kind of impossible if you couldn't but you know when you're doing both of those things I can size that person up in a very very relatively short period of time mm -hmm. and you your brain just goes into overdrive in regards to how you're going to and what you're going to talk about okay the conversation is led by that client okay their needs what they're looking for you know what questions to ask to properly probe it just gets to be so not rote it's it's just all those tools that are in your bag you pull out which ones you need when you need them yes there is some science to this but the ability to but the hard question not let that person think that you're an asshole right okay that's there's just there's some guys that just come across that they just don't they just don't come across yeah. well and I think a seasoned salesperson knows how to determine what makes this person tick are they introverted right. or they extrovert they, they kind of know your product inside and out you know what questions to ask as it relates to the transactional buying and selling process yep. but here's where all the great and, and I put myself in this category mm -hmm. where what's what trips up a sales process is not the questions that you ask the conversations that you have your ability to diagnose them and then flex your communication it's all the complicated stuff of qualifying that customer, exactly. potential customer. It's the buying process. Are they a decision maker? If not, who is? What's the process? Does it got to go through three levels? It's understanding all that complicated stuff. Because they might not be a decision maker. They might just be a recommender. And exactly. who are they recommending to? Their boss? And does the boss have to make a recommendation even higher up? Do they got to go in front of a committee? Very rarely are we dealing with decision makers. We, true. we aren't. In, in the B2B commercial world, we're not dealing with a decision maker. We're mm -hmm. dealing with someone that's got to go to someone that's got to go to somebody, and it's a long, drawn-out, complicated process. True. Or else, why is our sales cycle so long, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get a sale like that really <clears throat> quick in a commercial world because we're dealing with that end user. Or we're dealing with someone that can make a call that's got budgetary control. That's generally not the case. And salespeople fail to diagnose the scope of the project, what's all involved, all the complicated things. And that's really where the game is won and lost. So qualifying the customer. Yeah, that's there's nothing worse that's than so giving key, a, isn't it? There, there's I mean, nothing it really worse is than a key giving point. a great presentation for someone that can't make a fucking decision. <laughs> and that's probably the majority of the time. And we put all our energy in there and we don't even ask who makes the and think about it, it's an uncomfortable question. I know. Yeah, you yeah. can you can capture it in a number of different ways. So tell me what's complicated about this. You seem to like this, but obviously there's other things involved. What are they? I can't think of the last time I asked that. And I'm, I got a lot of experience in sales. You do too. And we don't ask that question. Does this person have... Is it fear? Is it negligence? Or is it, this shit's hard? It's... And these are hard questions. Well... And maybe yes. we don't want to offend somebody. The, the questions are hard. But um, I've never... I've never really consciously thought about whether I'm, you know being objectionable with the client or whether I am upsetting them in any way I just don't you know I, I don't think that I'm doing that I know you're not doing that but I have an example to make to make this point mm -hmm. 2005 we were we started this business in March of 2003 
2005 was the first, I'm not going to say the first real one, but it's the, the first World of Concrete, which is a massive exposition which is tied to the world of concrete, okay? It's all, everything that you want to know about poured in place concrete was at this, at, at this exposition, at this trade show. And it was coming back to Las Vegas, okay? It was at the, I think it was at the Vegas Hilton, as I recall. And we decided that we were going to make a major leap and invest in this trade show. The, without prolonging this too much, it's five days, it's 10 hours a day, except for the last day, which is eight. And the, it's just, it's huge. It's just absolutely huge. And there's very little representation from the concrete paver world in this world of concrete show. It's all, you know, and back then, decorative colored concrete was just starting to take, I was just starting to take hold. And I, this is, again, this is 2005, this is 18 years ago. And it was just starting to take hold. So you knew at the show, that's what you were going up against. And that's what we competed against. We still compete against that today. And quite frankly, I think we blow, the, we, we blow them out of the water. Mm -hmm for various reasons but I there's just no way I could we anticipated there was going to be so many people at that show I can't do this by myself and the, the two other you know Mick and, and, and Kenny uh, they had to stay they had to stay here they, there was no, there was no way two out of the three people could go right. and leave this business for a week so Mick met a gentleman who shall remain nameless nice guy terrific guy and what a personality young 25 26 at the time just outgoing I mean the perfect perfect you know, man it just wow you know what that's that you, you hit it right on the head he was a he was a terrific wingman but he didn't know Squazul about concrete pavers he saw what we did hey, that's pretty cool he met him, brought him in. We decided, you know what? Let's give this guy a shot. So, for two weeks, uh, between myself and Mick, we tutored him. Okay, I did. Mo I did most of it because most of it was going to be sales, and then there would be two of us at the show in the booth, and we had a ten foot by ten foot booth, you know, standard size. Anyway. By the end of the two week series of tutorials, if you will. He knew enough to get himself in trouble, okay? But that's not, that's not what I wanted him for. What I wanted him for was get the client initiated. You just need a few things to get them interested. Get them into the booth, get them interested, show them we build a floor. That 10 foot by 10 foot booth had a floor in it and it had one of our elements collection pieces. I think it was, I think it was the Renaissance. And by the way, we were also, you know, we also decided we're going to sell this floor before we leave here. Somebody's going to buy it, okay? Hey, ten foot by ten foot, that's, you know, that's 2,800 pounds. Right. Somebody's going to have to come in, you know, anyway. Which means we had to repackage that 2,800-pound piece, that monstrosity. At any rate, he was magnificent. And the way it worked, we both did the same thing getting people into the booth, talking to them. He funneled the people to me 
He vetted them. He could get them through the first level of vetting, mm -hmm. maybe even the second level of vetting. Is this something that they're really interested in? Are they kicking the tires? Do they have an application? Application was absolutely number one. Get that person over to me, okay? Or I could either close the deal or at least get them to the quoting point, all right? I mean, you know how this works here. Uh, and he was unbelievable, but also unbelievable to manage. Mm. I mean, it's... How so? He took advantage of Las Vegas like nobody I've ever met. Oh, I like the... Uh, I'm done. The that, after party. Yeah. <laughs> you're getting there an hour before the show. Right. You're not leaving until 30 minutes after the show's over for that day. So really, you're on the floor for 11 and a half to 12 you're hours. Yeah. Okay. I'm going back to my room. We had, we got, uh, we, uh, uh, we st both stayed in the same room. Uh, we were at New York, New York. And I went back, I had dinner, and I just crashed. Yeah. I, I had to. The next day I had to get up. You know, you're not entertaining people, although it's the perfect venue to do that. To make a long story short, here's someone that could engage the potential clients and get them far enough to the point where, let me introduce you to somebody. And he would bring them over to me. I would be done, whoever was just, and I'm serious, Mark, this was nonstop for five days. It was like one person after another. It was the it was the greatest selling experience I think I've ever had in my life. Now, and I've done trade shows all my life, um, uh, all my uh, professional life. And typically with trade shows, you have a lull, and then you're busy, and then you have another lull, and then you're busy again. This was nonstop for five days because there were so many people, and we had a choice spot. But that connection with the client was what this guy made. He knew enough to get him in trouble about the product, but that's all we needed him for. And he did, a, he did, he just did a terrific job. My biggest problem was making sure he was going to show up that day, mm -hmm. because the night before, he he just carouser with a capital C. Terrific guy, but I couldn't get him to get back to the. Come on, let's go. Let's we got to get some sleep. He's 25. I'm 55. Okay, or 53 at the time. I think it was 53 or 54 at the time. Um, but there's there's the value of having that's that's the art of selling he had that art of selling um and it's i, I still see him from time to time see, it's interesting my view on trade shows is a little different it's uh yeah it's number one it's exhausting you're standing on concrete all day so you're wiped out at the end of the day but oh yeah in the world of trade shows because i come from the world of a sea of commodities like we we're talking about with concrete pavers and oh yeah so the booth yeah and you can't outspend people at a trade show i mean there's people that will do light hang they'll they'll drop things from the ceiling they'll have multimedia you just can't outspend people at the trade show Agreed. itself That's so you true. do hope to get them in and have good conversations my measure of a successful trade show especially when it's five days is i'm going to put the multiple salespeople in a room and i, I put myself in that bucket who who organizes the best dinners? I want to see a list. We got four nights, Boston Seafood Show, FMI in Chicago. Wow. The private list, sweets and snacks. Who's got the best dinners? Give me your client list. All right, Jim, Bob, Sally, Mark. Who's got the dinner list? I got these three customers set up for three nights. I got these three, and some didn't get any. What does it say? If your customers are coming out and staying in a hotel for two nights, and you can't get a dinner. That's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? It is. Now, it might be that they're going to the bigger vendor. Their, their other supplier asked them first, or it's a more important supplier. 
But that's what it's all about. It's because now if you can get him out for an hour and a half and a couple bottles of wine, a great dinner, now you're talking about something, right? Because the trade show, you're not going to have Spence. You're not going to have a better brand and impact if you're a small business right. at a trade show. But you got to have the dinners lined up, and you got to have some one-on-one relationship. Going yeah, but on. you're doing that prior to the show. Oh, that's that's the game is won before you even go to the show. Exactly. So we knew two months before the show who had what dinners, what were the key dinner, you know, what were new versus just farming. And by the way, the customers that you got a great relationship with, obviously you want to take care of them too, but. There's choices to be made. They've got choices on what vendor to go out with, and you've got choices on what customers can take. You hope you got choices. Exactly. Now, some of them were scrambling to get dinners. But anyway, um, that is an opportunity. That's the one value I always saw with trade shows. Mm-hmm. Everybody's away from home, and they're going to be staying one or two nights in a hotel, and they got to go out to dinner, right? So uh, it's a good opportunity there, if you, if you view it that way. Well, we started this part of the conversation in regards to what currently what you know what what construes the current selling atmosphere in this country you know salespeople and we've said well it's 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 not dying but it's down significantly because of the presence of social media mm-hmm. you know the the uh, uh, it's relatively inexpensive to do videos now uh, as compared to 20 years ago 25 years ago you know websites you just can't get better websites than the ones that you're getting now uh, there's just so many good things that are going on. And by the way, they're all sales-oriented. Mm-hmm. Selling is never going out of style. Look, the, in but, this world. But here's an area, trade shows. Trade shows have not decreased. True. People want to get They've not out. decreased. Right. There's still trade shows, and there's a hell of a lot of them. I venture to say there's probably more now than there were before uh, coming out of COVID. And who's standing there talking to clients about the product? Well, I can assure you it's not going to be the president of the company or the CEO or the CFO or the COO. It's going to be somebody in marketing and sales that knows the product dead nuts and you know can speak to it with a client, some potential client walking into the booth uh, intelligently, connecting with them, uh, you know, getting, getting sales information for follow-ups and things of that nature. That's still very, very important. Look, I, I mentioned the, because uh, I used to sit on that side of the world of executive management in a previous lifetime, and if I were to see sales go up, T&E go down, and salespeople removed from the road and put mm-hmm. in the office, you'd, you'd be not doing a fiduciary responsibility, not to ask that question, Yep. so what are we getting for this? Exactly. That doesn't, I'm not minimum. I believe in sales more than anything, mm-hmm. but not to ask that question is incompetence as leadership. So, now you got to ask yourself in sales. Sales is like the wrestling match, right? There's no team that's going to bail you out when you're counting the lights and you're pinned up against the wall. It is the ultimate performance-driven function in business. You're either opening up new doors, building new relationships, creating new pipelines, or you're not. And in today's world, and we know it, with HubSpot, I can see how many deals go out the door from me, from you, and we can measure them. And we can look at activity. In sales, the activity is everything. How many people are you calling on? Can you demonstrate it? And then if you have a sales force, you've got 10 people, let's say, mm-hmm. responsible for outbound sales or inbound, whatever it is. You can measure all these 10 people. Who's creating the deals and who isn't? And who's closing deals and who's not? It's the leadership responsibility, whether that's a sales VP or a head of sales or small business owner, to understand who's generating results and is actually productive. Are they sending out email? Are they sending out proposals? Are they closing them? All of this is measurable. And for the salespeople that like to hide, number one, they shouldn't be in sales. 
they ought to, activity is the, if you don't have activity, outbound phone calls, emails, proposals, sales meetings, it starts with activity. Yeah. Now you can be very busy calling on a lot of people, making a lot of proposals. If you're not effective at closing, you ain't worth a shit. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that aren't effective at closing and they got limited activity. What the hell are they doing? Yeah. Now, sales managers let this go on all the time, by the way, and they don't take action on it. That's incompetence. That sales manager's got to be fired if he doesn't deal with that. Right. So, by the very essence, whatever your business is, you got to be measuring sales. If you don't measure it, it's not going to get productive. Mm-hmm. And then you got to be able to compare it to something. Now, if you only got one salesperson, you have nothing to compare it to. But you do have eight hours in a day, and is two sales proposals every day for five days a week, is that adequate? Well, you got to kind of make that decision based on. Well, what does it take to create a sales? Is that a two-hour exercise, 20-minute? Well, what, what's the deal? But you got to have some kind of idea and goal for what is good sales activity. But I'm amazed at how many people don't even measure sales activity. Quotes going out the door, proposals being made, presentations, close rates, all this stuff is measurable. Yep, and it's the... Um it's the first thing, basically it's the first thing you learn as a salesperson, at least it was for me. How about you? Was that one of the, you know, measuring your performance, don't we all want to know how we're doing? You know, if it's just, okay, well, I'm just going to go out and sell today, that just sounds so boring to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, there's, there's, it it's a game. It really is a game. It depends on, there's a lot of sales roles, believe it or not, that are not measurable. And the world I come from, consumer products, you mm-hmm. know, people that make toothpaste put it on the shelf, people that make mac and cheese put it on the shelf. The base level of sales is that sales rep that goes into a grocery store and tries to facilitate and help the sales process. But they're not, they're calling on 10 stores and they're not selling. The sale happens at the account where they bring in five truckloads of mac and cheese right. and then they push it out to the store. Well, they, they send in 30 truckloads to Walmart, a distribution center, and then the sales rep have to go into the stores to make sure it's getting pulled through, it's on the shelf, it's not getting pushed out by the competition. Not really a measurable job. But there is ways to measure when there's a sales contest, um, and then they, they they can kind of measure it that way. But a lot of people are in sales facilitation roles that don't say I sold X number of units or widgets, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they got to facilitate the process. So everyone's got to figure out how to stand out. If you're a sales rep that doesn't have a number to your head, I can't measure how much you sold to this Walmart, to this shop, right? But what about when there's a display contest? Are you going to win it? And there's 30 other people. Or are you going to be not even selling a display in a display contest? So sales in its very nature, you better have a competitive streak. You are being measured by the people that are next to you, measured on a number of calls, a display contest. If you don't have a hunger to win, don't go into sales. I think that's one of the traits that I think matters. That's do you want to win or do you not want to win? Like, yeah. Well, that's, oh my goodness. It's when so- you're playing Scrabble, you want to fucking win? Yeah. Or do you want to just participate? If you want to win... You might want to be in sales. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm. What do you think? I mean, the, the competitive I, streak has got to be there. Well, you, the competitive streak is what drives you to number one, make yourself better at what you're doing all the time, always improve, whatever that definition of always improving means. But what's what's interesting to me, all we've talked about, the different depths there are of you know the um, the sales experience okay uh, that selling field going back to what I originally said there's no school for this there's not there's no when I went to um, uh, the University of Delaware and I took my first accounting course I knew whether I was going to stay in that or not 
okay? And when you walked in the class, that first class, County 101, Smith Hall, major, just a major presentation room, massive room. There was 200 people that wanted to be accountants in there, okay? And the, the accounting professor looked up and said, okay, it's the first thing you're going to learn. Look to the person on your left, look to the person on your right. There's a good chance both of them are going to be gone by accounting 102 because they don't get it, and you did. So just let's get used to that right now. You know, the worst case scenario, you're going to lose one semester in one course, and you're not going to be an accountant. You're going to be a finance major or an economist or something like that or an econ, an econ major. It's the same thing with sales. And there's that, there's so many, there's so many ways that you could teach this. I, maybe when I retire, I'll think about that. I'll think about some way that you could actually start a school that would, um, you know, that would uh, effectively build great salespeople. Now, nowadays, that definition of sales has changed. Okay, you're not on the road anymore. Okay. Uh, for the most part, but you know, I still see, I still see sales. There's still there's salespeople that still come to our door uh, three, four times a week. Most of them are motor freight reps, okay, or uh, or the uh, uh, the occasional. Um, the, Let's give a shout out to our friend, the garbage guy. That's more than old school. This is old school personified. That's old. Tell school. the story of that's our old school. Our friend. Turn, that's turn of the century old school. Um, yeah, we talked to him. We don't like the cold sales call. But he walked in and kind of wormed his way into our life. Okay? But he had something going for him. Which was? The better, he basically had the better mousetrap in regards to dumpsters. Okay? Now, the dumpster wasn't Well, he had a hat. Well, the first thing I remember is the hat. Yeah, and it was the Vietnam War vet or something like He's that. He's a veteran. He's a veteran. Yeah, exactly. So that so I hate the cold call physical. You don't make an appointment with me. I'm gonna be like, did you make an appointment? You know, I'm snarky, right? When I see the Vietnam War veteran, how do you be snarky to that? No, you can't do that. You just can't, you can't do you, it. You can't do that, and I, I would never do that either. But he, I, I, he came in. He times. started, and he kept, yeah, <laughs> he just kept talking it up and talking it up and talking it up, and Garbage maybe, dumpster. maybe twenty percent of what he talked about was the product. That's right, but. We we finally said, give us a price, and that's all he wanted to hear. And it, the price—that's like, the goal. The price was like half, but we still didn't move the business because we were in. There's there's a thing about inertia. Inertia is a hard thing to change yeah, behavior. Is it, is it, yeah, but what's interesting? What's interesting? Every dumpster, every dumpster in our complex, in this complex, right. not just ours. We got everyone to change. Every one of them got, to, and we told them they would. A new person would come in. So where are you guys getting your thing? Oh, you, you got to check these guys out. They, right. got, they got the best prices. Their services. Yeah, good. and look, a shout out to I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Do you remember his name? Who's that? Uh, oh, the, the gentleman's name? No, I know the name of the company. I just the, the company C and H Disposal, Elmer, New Jersey. This is a class organization. Well, by the way, small business. Well, by the way, and he, he's a smart salesman too. Salesman too. He doesn't need to come in here anymore. He has our business, and, right. he, and he knows it's a dumpster. Right. As long as, as long as we maintain the service right. and we maintain the price, I don't need to visit. But I don't need to waste my time visiting these guys and following up. I can spend more time, you know, 
digging up new business. Well, here's a good example where the price was significantly better, and we still spent with the old company probably for a year because look, changing is hard. Yeah, it's, you got to make it. You got to terminate one and do another one. No, well, blame, it wasn't until we had a service yeah, problem. Blame that, us for that. We had a service problem with the old company, and we're like, why are we? And then they were rude on the phone. Yeah. So I wait, wait, I'm going to put up with this shit, and I'm paying a premium. I, now I know I'm paying a premium. So I, I had fun kicking their ass to the curb. I got motivation when they screwed up. And then we brought the new guy, and they've been great. That's they right. turn around stuff within 48 hours. Every time we call, they kind of know us. And we get we need things like roll-off dumpsters, and there, our needs change with construction. We're always throwing stuff out where we need more than a normal. They turn their stuff around in 48 hours. So not only is their price better, their service is better. And you can tell they're a small business, right? And they are excellent at what they do. But it starts with the salesperson being persistent with the physical cold call. He had the veteran story, so he was able to break some rules yeah. of decorum, and we were happy to do it. But I think he called on us five times before yeah. we finally moved. Easily. And he never. What an asset to that company. He never right called now. us ahead of time. He no, would just stop in. He would just show up. And, and he would, I'll stand up. He would, he would do one of these. You kind of feel a presence when you're behind your computer. Yeah. And you got one of these. And he turned around. Like, Jesus, startled, right? Yeah. So, but he won our business. Now, that's a garbage thing, and I love. For some reason, I love the garbage business. It might be my Italian roots, but uh, yeah, that was an example of just persistence, physical cold call, and then. But it also says so you can have a better product, a better price, and you still might not convert, but you got to stay at it. And then the tide may eventually turn, and when it does, they'll call you. Yeah. And this guy's living proof of it. And he winds up. He knows what he's getting. All I have to do is get this one company to use my product, and they all fall, and they're all going to follow in line in right. this in, in this little industrial park of ours.